0: We are fully in a Middle East crisis. There is no way around it. There is no other way of saying it. We're watching the slippery slope happen. We literally went from this being a Israel only issue to now involving Jordan, the United States, Syria, Iran, Yemen, Lebanon, and the UK. Like this is eight countries now involved in this. This is madness. We are fully in a Middle East crisis. There is no way around it. There is no other way of saying it. We have absolutely watched over the last 60 days how the United States went from having no footprint, no significant uh, issues in the Middle East, to now a full blown Middle Eastern crisis.
1: Right. And, you know, it's been interesting to watch. I mean, like incredibly horrible and sad to watch also, but interesting to watch as diplomatically the strategies have started to shift as we come into this you know as we started out in this this shouldn't last long you know we can all tow the same party line that we've been towing and things will resolve itself into now we're at this kind of like oh shit moment of this could really broaden and be really bad for the region and the United States absolutely does not have the appetite to get sucked back in to a large Middle Eastern conflict.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because you talk about um, the oh shit moment, and I I feel like we're literally watching what you and I at CIA learned as a slippery slope. Yeah. We're watching the slippery slope happen. Because essentially on October 7th, you had Hamas attack Israel, un, unannounced, unexpected, and in a jarring way. Yeah. And then you had Israel respond with airstrikes. Mm-hmm. So that's what everybody remembers happening in early October. Yeah. Since then, we have literally watched as Iran has gotten more and more involved yes. and to the point where they're actually engaging in hostilities, active attacks in places like Iraq uh, mm. and increasing their attacks on what they claim is ISIS. Right. Right? You also have increasing hostilities coming from Jordan into Iraq. You have uh, Hezbollah and the Houthis, meaning the countries of Lebanon and Yemen, now also getting involved in active strikes, active military efforts. You've got the United States launching missiles into Yemen, attacking the Houthis. So we literally went from this being a Israel only issue. Yeah. Because Hamas is in the Gaza Strip and Gaza is inside Israel. We went from this being Israel, and self-contained to Israel, the true definition of an intrastate war, a single war with a conflict, in, a single state with a conflict inside, we have watched it go from that to now involving Jordan, the United States, Syria, Iran, Yemen, Lebanon, and the United States, and the UK. Like, this is eight countries now involved in this. This is madness.
1: Well, and, you know, and it's not, I, I think it's not incredibly surprising because the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has, has never been just a conflict, just a an interest between those two parties, right? Everybody in the region has always had something to say, always has uh, some, uh, you know, some part to play in the conflict between those two, right? So it's not surprising that it has expanded, and it's actually, you know, it's it's, it's happening at a pace that you would expect, you know, slowly, little by little, just like you said, a slippery slope. Um, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that I, this is, this is, I feel like we're watching the, mess, the messy part of diplomacy and policymaking because in the beginning, my assumption, and if this is just my assumption, is that the United States probably thought they would have more sway over Israel right? They would have more sway over the Israeli government. And that assessment, that policy and diplomatic assessment uh, has turned out to be wrong. The current government in Israel is digging in harder and harder, no matter what any of the other governments are trying to talk to them about, no matter what their own people are asking them to do. The current government has dug in and it's, it's not productive Right. They have their their mindset on on one path and it's not productive for anything else to, you know, to become possible right now.
0: Yeah. Your, your point about about Israel is resisting the will of their own people yeah. is so correct. It's so accurate. Um, I want to I want to stay I want to stay on that point for just a second because Netanyahu was wildly unpopular. Right. On October 6th, before the attack happened. Yes. On October 7th. And October eighth, when they when they just when they suffered their attack and they and they uh, announced their war on Hamas,
2: mm-hmm.
0: his ratings his his approval went up not significantly, but the whole country unified, and they kind of said, you know what, we don't really like Netanyahu, kind of a corrupt guy. Uh, we don't really like the idea of this you know far right, very conservative government that has taken power in Israel, but. You know, we're not, the infighting is not the goal here. The goal is to rescue the hostages that have been taken from us and to restore like rule of law and law in order to protect the Israeli people. Right. Since then, your whole point about things unfolding slowly, I feel like things are unfolding at an almost lightning pace. Really? Because since, yes, since that day, Netanyahu's approval rating within Israel is 15%. Mm. 15%, not only is he now dealing with activity with with conflict in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank has significantly increased in terms of their military conflict or their their guerrilla uh, resistant conflict as well. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Plus, Hamas, who's being hunted down and eradicated in Gaza, has increased in popularity and support in both Gaza and the West Bank. I mean you're 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 so right that the government of israel has dug in they are ignoring the guidance of their people yes they're ignoring the will of their own people they're ignoring the guidance of their strongest allies around the world Mm -hmm. and they're doing it for what reason i mean this really does seem like it is it is it is i I don't want to say one man because it's not netanyahu by himself right it's it's him and some cabinet of advisors that have taken and they're they're making either very personal rash decisions or they see some sort of political outcome to this that benefits them more than the current state. Uh, I, I would love your thoughts because I don't, it doesn't make sense to me why you would keep going down a course that you know is against everybody History. that you trust, <laughs> everybody who's there to support you. All the historical
1: lessons that people have learned over time, yeah. yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting uh what you just said because when I look at the decisions that are being made by the by the current government, Israel, I do feel like the policymakers at the top making those decisions, I feel like you can see the motivators. So we've you know, we talk about the rice motivators, right? So you can see the emotional motivators, you can see the ego motivators going into it because when you look at the big picture and when you try to project into the future of what the outcome of their actions might be, they're not doing what's best for Israel. They're not doing what's best for the Israel people. They're not doing what's best for the region or for the Palestinians, yeah. right? The current course of action is not the best by any means. And I feel like when you watch you know, every decision that the military is making, that the government is making, you can see that you can see clearer and clearer that the driving force is not in service of the people, it's in service of an ego, it's in service of emotion, right? And we always talk about how how, uh, important it is to check your emotions, to not make emotion-based decisions, to not make ego-based decisions, how important it is to make decisions based on fact and assessment of the data. And they're not doing that.
0: Right. Israel is one of the few countries in the world that is literally surrounded by enemies. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, it, the, the Abraham Accords that were successfully progressing from 2020 to 2023 until October, the Abraham Accords were slowly making it so that Israel had more allies, more economic peers mm-hmm. in the region. Because if you think about it, Israel is a Mecca, a Mecca is probably not the right word to use. Uh, It's a a bastion of Jewish freedom surrounded by an ocean of, of Muslims, right? And you've got both Sunni and Shia Muslims surrounding the area all around Israel. So of those Shia and Sunni countries the vast majority of them in 2019 were anti-israeli they were not in support of israel they were they were they had no problem with jews right these are not there's no war between judaism and islam there is no war there but there is a very real economic disparity that you can see when you're in the region we've lived there we've lived in that region we have seen the disparity like you can see the, the conflict and the racism and the the classism that exists because Israel is such a small wealthy country and every other country that has any wealth in the region has oil wealth and oil wealth only. And, you know, you, most countries don't have any oil wealth. So here we are now. And in just 60 days, three years worth of diplomatic efforts through those abraham accords has been undone yeah and now israel is once again staring down the barrel of iran a country that promises to destroy them Mm -hmm. hezbollah an organization that promises to eradicate israel hamas an organization a the specifically their militant wing Mm -hmm. right their militant wing promises to eradicate the state of Israel and give it to the Palestinians. It's just, to to your point, like digging in on this Mm -hmm. has undone three years worth of effort making friends and building allies. And now your allies are all standing on the sidelines. Every country that was part of the Abraham Accord,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: wealthy, powerful Arab countries are sitting back and they are not supporting anybody, right? UAE, super wealthy, powerful military. They want nothing to do with Israel. Saudi Arabia, super wealthy, super powerful military. They have no stake in the game. They do not want to support Israel. Oman, uh, Bahrain, Qatar. Qatar is the only country actively involved. And they are the place where they are housing the leader of Hamas. (laughs) So it's just Israel's decisions are not only isolating them from their friends and allies, like the United States and the UK, Mm -hmm. Israel's actions are literally badgering the countries that they used to be growing closer to in terms of economic uh, prosperity and badgering their enemies and giving their enemies even more freedom to attack because Iran is not afraid of UAE coming to help Israel anymore. Iran is not afraid of Saudi Arabia coming to help Israel anymore. And the more that Israel denies a two country a two state solution, the more that they just eradicate the, you know, innocent Palestinians. The more that they completely disregard any advice, any advisory council from the United States and the UK, the more they make those decisions, the more empowered they are making their enemies, their most dangerous enemies. That's what's so frustrating to me my love because yeah. The United States, our country's best interests lie in us supporting Israel. There's, there's, no, there's no other way of looking at it than that. What happens to the Palestinians is a travesty, but a strong Israel, a strong ally and a strong economy in Israel benefits the United States. So we're in this horrible situation that, that our past economic and diplomatic decisions have led to. Right. Our policy decisions have put us in a position where we need a strong, effective Israel, Mm. but we can't support them as they attack the Palestinians. Yeah. And that's where we are right now.
1: I see what you're saying there, Um, because my first reaction was like, well, the United States best interest is, you know, peace in the Middle East, which most people agree involves a Palestinian state, Um, you know, peace between Israel and the Palestinians and their neighbors um but i understand what you're saying economically that is true um, you know and, and it's it's a shame that you know even if even if israel is successful in in killing every hamas militant out there the problem is that you can't kill the ideology and the and the, the only thing that's happening now is that the violence is creating and multiplying and morphing the current ideology that already exists. So maybe you eradicate Hamas, you know, all the people who currently call themselves Hamas, but then you're just going to have a Hamas 2.0. You're going to have whatever they, the people who are being traumatized right now call themselves when they rise up and. Decide to take their revenge in 30 years. You know, it's it's they're creating more of a problem, and now just like you said, it's it's spread regionally. Like they had made all these inroads, and now all that progress is is garbage. Um, and it's because of how they have chosen to react to the attack. Right, this is the attack by Hamas. Um, there are always multiple options, and they have chosen this route, and it's just not. I think everybody but them seems to be able to see that looking forward into the future, this is not the best option. I mean, there is a, you know, there's a post-war period where rebuilding has to happen, where their survivors have to pick up their lives and figure out how to move on, where all the countries who are witnessing this and helping one side or another have to decide how they're going to move forward. You know, all of that comes over the next 10, 20, 30 years, and they're just not I think they're either not projecting, I think they're not projecting correctly. I think ego is getting in the way personally. Um, It's just a shame to watch, The same shame to watch it all unfold this way.
0: So let's talk about outcomes, because Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see an outcome to the war between Israel and Hamas anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I think we've got months at least ahead of us. Hopefully this does not cross the one year mark. Um, and something more else, so,
1: well, I was going to say, more if, so,
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I was going to say that not only are we like now it's at a point where it's beyond watching what's happening between Israel and Hamas. Now it's at a point where we have to watch what's happening with Iran, what's happening with all of the neighbors. Perfect. You know, we yep. have to keep an eye on these other things, because even if that, even if the, even if the. Israeli government stays steady, stays on course. You know, we have to keep one eye on that. Now we have to watch everybody else and make the right decisions in those other theaters,
0: right? Correct. What we're seeing is a form of it's. It's almost like what we've seen happen here when there's kind of moments of mass hysteria. Yeah. And you see, you know, some event uh, like the like a, like we've seen with Black Lives Matter or like we saw with the killing of uh, of of. You know, innocent African Americans at the at the hands of police. You see an event that turns into mass hysteria, that then essentially justifies the abandonment of law and order. Yeah, and that's how we go from you know a a, a police officer makes a mistake in the street, and that turns into rioting and looting of businesses and entire city blocks in Los Angeles. Like that's, we shouldn't see that kind of thing. That, that, that is a human nature thing, but that's what's happening on a wider scale in the Middle East right now. We saw an event take place in Israel that has now turned into looting, looting and rioting throughout the whole region. And the longer that the event continues, the more the looters and the rioters are gonna be emboldened to take it to the next level.
1: Yeah, I really think it's a lesson in, in you know, I, I think, you know, the, those wide pendulum swings happen because there's an underlying issue that has been going on for such a long period of time that when an event happens, it swings that pendulum all the way to the other side. So people, it's not like people react proportionately because there's all this pressure from what they've been holding on to, So suddenly it just snaps and that pendulum swings all the way to the other side, which isn't the right reaction, you know, it's not proportionate, but you know, if you'd been paying attention to the beginning, to the underlying issue in the beginning that's been going on for who knows how long, you know, depending on what you're talking about, arguably it could be prevented,
0: right? Well, we're too late for prevention. So there's no reason in looking back. And this is where you and I differ a lot. (laughs) I love you. But I, we differ here all the time be, you always want to look backwards because I'm like, you, what the hell is the point looking back learning we from failed.
1: history you learn from history i mean you can learn from
0: history yeah. you can learn from history but it makes no there's no benefit in looking back and then saying oh we made a mistake oh we made a mistake doesn't help us come up with oh what's the next solution it just tells us oh we made a mistake
2: yeah
0: right so and I know that there's a, there's a middle ground that's probably the most mature place to be. <laughs> but this is where I'm staking my claim right now.
1: Well, so you're, maybe, wrong. Maybe, you're wrong.
0: You're wrong, i
1: I'll give you, maybe in the current situation, it's not applicable to be like, oh, we should have done something different before. But you can learn from history so that the next time you see those warning signs in a different scenario, you can be like, oh, you know what? we don't want shit to hit the fan this time. So let's take, let's learn from history and take steps in this other situation. Right? So I'll get, I'll All meet right, you halfway love. there.
0: I'm throwing it your way then. So oh, no. looking back on history, learning from history, what is one possible outcome that you see having a high probability of happening moving forward? It can be a good outcome or a bad outcome. It can make things better or worse. But when you look into your crystal ball, knowing what you know from your time at the agency and what you've known about history, your time living in the Middle East, what do you see happening next?
1: I mean the the highest probability, based on what we know now, because we have to constantly assess, you know, as things change, but the highest probability now is that um, you know, the Israeli government continues to dig in, does not back down that government. It doesn't sound like... There's an appetite for change and leadership in Israel right now, um, and so it just you know the if for the next you know at least ninety days I think the outcome is just going to be the same. It's going to be the status quo, and then whenever it does end, Israel is going to have a really if if they're going to have a very difficult time maintaining peace and rebuilding and the Gaza Strip. I assume that the United States will still be there, but the United, depending on who we elect, you know, how much of an appetite we will have for sending money to rebuild and not really fix the situation post-war, you know, we'll have to see who's in power here.
0: All right, so. And you go. (laughs) things a little bit differently. I see things differently. I think there is an appetite for a change in leadership in Israel. In fact, I think Israel is more at risk of having an internal overthrow of Netanyahu than Russia was ever at risk of an internal overthrow of Putin. Interesting. Because I am willing to bet that, that, that inside Israel, there's a There's a special thing about Judaism, specifically Orthodox Judaism. And according to Orthodox Judaism, very fundamental Orthodox Judaism, there's a requirement to prioritize the rescue of hostages taken by infidels above all other things.
1: Interesting.
0: So that means that the very same conservative group that brought Netanyahu to power there's a very good chance that that same group prioritizes retrieving their hostages alive above all other things. Mm. So Netanyahu's political arguments about denying and rejecting a two-part, a two-state solution, Mm -hmm. that's politics. And his stance on that political outcome has essentially negated Israel's ability to get their hostages back which is a big part of why Palestine takes hostages or why why Hamas, yes. excuse me, cor- correction. This is a big reason why Hamas takes hostages because they understand that conservative Islam or conservative Judaism requires that hostages be rescued. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of the few weapons that they've been able to use psychologically and economically to their advantage. So Hamas understands that as long as they have hostages, they essentially have like, there's a, a a, a Torah-based demand and an absolute imperative that those hostages are rescued according to the most fundamental, most orthodox Jews. So I, I see that the very same people who brought Netanyahu to power are actually not happy with the way he's managing the conflict. Right. And then you layer on top of that the fact that most centrist Jews also, most centrist uh, Israelis also do not like the way that Netanyahu is running the country. So you actually have a bridge where both the conservative and centrists, and then of course the more liberal base too, they all dislike the current ruler. But in a true democracy, because Israel is a true democracy, it's not some you know flimsy democracy like Russia. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting because Netanyahu is very much I I could absolutely see him. Either being voted no confident, like a vote of no confidence in Netanyahu, or him being forced to step down, or them declaring some kind of emergency situation where some other leader takes place and and handles the rest of this conflict. There's all, I can absolutely see that happening if this conflict continues longer than another three or six months, Mm -hmm. because there is already a huge swing against Netanyahu in his own country. And then on top of that, there's a huge pendulum swing throughout the entire world against Israel's actions. So if you or I were an advisor, if you or I were a business person, a wealthy person, a a political anything inside of Israel, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like we need to correct things quickly. And the the number one thing we need to correct is this person who is publicly stating that they choose politics over Jewish lives, right?
1: Mm Yeah, so, so I
0: see a, I see a different outcome. I see yeah. I see a complete transformation in leadership in Israel if this conflict continues. Because if Netanyahu remains in power, the bigger risk, the biggest risk, is that is Israel isolates itself so much from its allies that Iran starts to attack inside Israeli borders.
1: Yeah, I feel like right now, for me, the big things I'm interested in watching are the the citizens of Israel. And how and if they're going to start turning the tide of their government, um, we're seeing it a little bit, but they're really going to have to make a big push to convince their leadership to make a change. So I think that's something that I'm really interested in watching in the coming you know days, weeks, months. The other one is Iran. I think Iran is really fascinating right now. Um, they've they've seen a window of opportunity and they are taking it. And I think that they are definitely somebody I'm I'm interested in continuing to watch um, to see how bold they get.
0: Yeah. Israel's a is a country that's gonna have a difficult time controlling its borders. Yeah. It's got Hezbollah in Lebanon, which is on its northern border. Mm-hmm. It has Hamas in the Gaza Strip. It has a rising group it's a rising um, interest and support for hamas in the west bank mm-hmm. so that puts israel at risk to the east to the west and to the north
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then to the south like the closest ally it has is jordan yeah and jordan is really only friends with israel because jordan is friends with the united states mm-hmm. so i mean it's, that's it's going to be a mess yeah and, that's why I've, and all i really mm-hmm. yeah my number one hope is that The United States, unfortunately, and I think it will, as long as we have Biden in power, honestly, I think this is how it's going to turn out. It's going to be like Obama in Syria. Mm. Remember the red line? Yeah, I remember. that crossed. And he was like, "Eh, well, yeah, they used chemical weapons, but it's still not worth getting involved. Yeah. Like, I think that's going to be the Biden administration, too. Like, we'll threaten and threaten and threaten, but we're really just going to send some cruise missiles because... It's good training for our people and it gives it makes sure that the military industrial complex in the United States can continue to generate more money and more revenue without risking American lives. Like
1: I don't know that the decision is that flippant at the top, but I do think that when they balance it against American interests, you know, what's the right thing to say, what's the right thing to do, and then what is the right thing for the for the United States of America? And those aren't always correct. the same thing, unfortunately.
0: Correct. And let's be frank, as, 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 in a non-flippant way, in a non-flippant way, mm-hmm. what the United States is the most interested in right now is being one of the first people on the ground to be able to give economic loans to rebuild Israel when all of this is over.
2: Oh, so as long as
0: Israel comes out on top, they're going to take their loans from the United States. Mm. But if Hamas comes out on top, or if Hamas carves out more land, more property, if the Palestinian footprint expands, then those loans are gonna come from Muslim countries in the Middle East. Mm. And then you'll see Saudi Arabia and UAE step in, mm-hmm. right? And you'll see more economic ties to the Middle East than to the West mm-hmm. in the country of Israel as are the borders that we now know as Israel. Yeah, I always so.
1: have to remind myself to look at the economics and not just the politics because they're so, yep. they're so entwined.
0: Yep. Good point. Speaking of economics and politics, I'm gonna switch gears here. Yeah. Speaking of economics and politics, There is absolutely an economy that I have discovered that comes from us being a husband that has to support your parents. (laughs) And I say that because your dad, who I love, Uh who our children love, Uh he is not taking care of himself. No. And... Not and I don't. I don't only hear about it from you, my love. Oh yeah. I hear about it from our six-year-old daughter. Oh yes. Who calls me a tattletale on her grandpa? Yeah. <laughs> because he's eating four scoops of ice cream and watching YouTube again, Dad. At ten o'clock or at night. He's not taking care of himself, Dad. Or he's not going for a walk, Dad. Or he's not drinking enough water, Dad. Like <laughs> yeah. she is on him.
1: Yeah, she really is. Yep. She. uh <laughs> it's, it's a. I see it as a reflection of of the good parenting and lessons we've taught her that she is calling him out on all his poor <laughs> health choices.
0: <laughs> but I mean all laughing aside, his poor health choices, they worry you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because you know, they've uh they've been my parents since you've been you're gone a, like about 5 weeks this time around. And so, you know, my parents came, I brought my parents here to stay with me for 3 weeks. Um, you know, and in part for help, but really in part for company, because it gets very lonely. Um, you know, I have my children, but as any parent knows, you know, I can only talk so much about Beyblades and, uh, you know, Bluey, right? So, um, my, <laughs> so my parents have been here for, you know, almost three weeks now, and it's been such an amazing visit Just like every time, and I think I've expressed to you like every, you know, I'm 43 now, and every time their departure comes up, you know, I start to get teary. I cry every time they leave, Um, you know, and for all the, you know, for all the complaints I think that, you know, children have about their parents, you know, during the visit or about their childhood or whatever, like the fact is, I grew up in a really loving household. I took a lot from my parents. I saw the sacrifice that they made for us. And they did that the best that they could, right? And so I feel like my parents sacrificed and supported me as a child, and throughout my adolescence, and throughout my twenties, and throughout my thirties. You know, um, you know, every time I need them, they are there. And now I feel like with age, my my parents are, you know, now in their early seventies. I feel like the tides turning where it's now it's my turn. It's my turn to bring them into the fold of our new little family. And make sure they have quality time with the kids, and I take care of them and I support them. Like once my parents, you know, are fully retired, you know, it's my duty to care for them, you know, care for their their health, care for them, you know, financially if they ever needed it, um, to really just take care of them in the way that they took care of me and allowed me to be a healthy and successful person. Um, so it really is difficult because they're adults really set in their way. And so when you see them making decisions that, you know, you are like, I love you, I want you to be healthy and to live the longest, healthiest life you possibly can because we need you, right? We need your company and we need your mental acuity and we need your funny jokes, right? Please put down the bowl of ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) You don't need that, but we need you and, you know, and living a healthy lifestyle is what allows us to have that. Um, but it's it's difficult because they're adults and they can do what they want to do. And you know,
2: it
0: reminds me of all those uh, all those grandparents and great grandparents from when you and I were growing up. I very much remember. Um, there's the story of like the grandpa who smokes <laughs> at like. 70 something years old. Yeah. And even though he has lung issues and even though he has throat issues and even though he has lip issues, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, I'm going to die anyways. I might as well enjoy my smoke on the way out yes. or the, or the grandma who drinks
3: mm-hmm. and
0: she's got all sorts of issues tied to alcohol, but she's like, I've been drinking for 30 years. I'm not going to stop now. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, you've got all these stories that we grew up with. Yeah. and now we're seeing it in our own parents it's not like we're not 12 anymore looking at an 80 year old we are now yeah. 40 looking at an eight at a 70 year old yeah right and we're seeing them make their decisions and we're seeing them say the same stuff right your dad's like i'm not diabetic yet it's not gonna happen <laughs> like i've been eating ice cream since i was 13 like <laughs> why would i stop now but you know there's no talking sense into them there's no saying when you were 13, you had two scoops of ice cream at dinner. Mm-hmm. Now that you're 78 or whatever, you're having four scoops of ice cream twice in a night. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not the same thing. Like your body... The 80-year-old body, the 70-something-year-old body, does not process like the 12-year-old body. Well, so it's it's very, very different.
1: And I do wonder, you know, when you meet these people who are much older and, you know, I met a lady on – I will never forget. I met this like 90-year-old lady on a cruise one day and she was like, I've been smoking and drinking my scotch every day and I'm 90 and I'm fine. And, um, you know, I – at what point, you know, is it selfish to ask them, you know, because, you know, to – are they – Is allowing them to do these things that they say make them happy, is allowing them to do it, you know, justified? Is it selfish Mm. for me to ask them to live a healthier life and, you know, cut down on the ice cream, cut down on the pound cake, right? Go for walks, you know, do these things that I, I know are hard because you and I do them, you and I get our workouts in. You and I eat, choose to eat healthy, right? And it's not the easiest thing. And I understand that. It's There's definitely sacrifices that come with not shoving whatever you want to in your mouth. But, you know, is it selfish to ask that? Should I just let him live his life and then hope for the best, right? Hope that no major health issues come up, you know, or should I just stay on his case?
0: <laughs> and then I... Well, I also feel like there's a second a second set of questions mm-hmm. that have to do with what is the role model we are setting for our children. Yeah. When they watch us treat them differently mm. than we treat your parent, mm. when they watch us espouse different values mm-hmm. than the values that we enforce with your parents. That's right? a good point. Like, I remember being a kid and being very confused why it was that. The rules were different for grandma and grandpa. The rules are different for mom and dad's friends. The rules are different when it's our cousins and not us. Like, it was always very confusing to me. And it made for a very difficult, you know, childhood and adolescence, trying to understand what authority really was and who really yeah. had it until I finally accepted the fact that nobody has fucking authority and that it's free for all. <laughs> and apparently if you want to just launch missiles into Yemen, you can. Oh my and there's no repercussions. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, it, so that is –
0: it's an but interesting that's the world that we live in. And it was confusing. Right. I don't want to confuse our children.
1: Well, and it's a good point you make there because, you know, part of what I have to tell the kids is that, you know, he's an, you know, he's an adult. Every, the lesson that I have found myself teaching the kids lately is that everybody has to make their own choices. And, I'm teaching them, trying to teach them to make the best choices that I know, you know, from my own experience, what I believe to be the best choices, but that in the end, everybody has to make their own choices. And I don't, you know, of course, I won't know if that's the right thing to do until they're like 30, probably, you know, because one day they're going to be 16. One day they're going to be 20. They're going to leave the nest one day and they are going to make their own choices. And maybe one day, you know, our son's going to be like, I want to eat four bowls of ice cream in a day. And, you know, he's going to make that choice. So hopefully he- Well, the good news is our
0: son did recently say, Sina, Mm -hmm. the love of my life, my my little boy, Mm -hmm. my firstborn, Mm -hmm. who is like, who has, is so sensitive and so wonderful. He did say the magic words to me recently Mm -hmm. that he's never going to leave the house (laughs) so that as soon as his wife has a baby- (laughs) He can hand the baby off to me to take care of the baby because yeah. they're going to be living in the basement
1: that he did tell me that yes i thought that so was very hilarious
0: that. <laughs> i mean Eli is going to move out of the house by the time she's like 15 oh yeah she's gonna she's gonna like yeah she's gonna own an apartment she's gonna be a slumlord by the time she's 18 i can guarantee <laughs> you she is she such is an absolutely entrepreneur going to dominate some small oh, yeah. segment of humanity somewhere she's either going to be a cult leader or a world leader i don't know which but like all the pressure is on us to make sure that that little girl Mm
3: -hmm. stays
0: on the the light side (laughs) and not the dark side
1: i totally agree with you
0: (laughs) but i started saying that you know there's economics and politics and everything Mm -hmm. and when it comes to our family like my economics are going to support your parents too. I know that they have been there for you in the hardest moments of your life, mm-hmm. which tells me that if, if I have hard moments in my life, if the kids have hard moments in their lives, your parents will be there. Yes. And I love your parents. I, I love my parents as well. But my parents are not those parents. Mm. My parents kicked my ass out of the house at 18. They started telling me there would be no financial support for me they started telling me that at 16. Mm -hmm. they forced me out on my own they took away my safety net they they basically checked off the box when they were done parenting and since then my stepdad isn't part of my life really at all he's definitely not interested i mean maybe i cross his youtube screen every now and then or maybe he sees me on history channel periodically but that's about as close as our relationship is and my mom like She's very happy whenever we do something that she's proud of, but it's not like she's, she's not calling us to see the kids. She's not trying to make plans to visit us in Florida. Like my parents are not your parents. Yeah. So because my parents were not there for me, I feel no obligation to be there for them. Again, economics and politics, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Your parents, I feel, I feel a connection and a, a, um, uh, I just I lost the word what does c i a always teach us about triggering in other people reciprocity reciprocity, yeah So well, I feel the sense i feel the pool of reciprocity mm-hmm. to your parents. Mm-hmm. I feel no press of reciprocity to my own,
1: yeah, it's been interesting to see because before I met you, you know i I didn't really pay much attention to other parents, um you know the parents of my friends, whatever. Um, so it wasn't until I met you, and then our families joined, right? Became one that it it, I really noticed the stark difference between your parents' parenting style and my parents' parenting style. And since then, I have met other people. Um, we have uh, an, a friend who, um, he's an older gentleman, and his I remember him saying very clearly, like nobody there, nobody was there to help me and my wife raise our kids, and my kids are on their own, and that was his. You know, yeah. that was his viewpoint as far as parenting went. And I thought, Oh my gosh, like that sounds very harsh. But clearly there are different parenting mindsets and styles and it's been interesting to see the out the different outcomes of those. I I don't I don't know that, you know, I I can say for personally one is preferable to the other one, but I don't know if one's better than the other one. It would be interesting to see a study.
0: Well, I and mean, even when you say one is preferable, it's it's only preferable to you. To me, yes. There there are plenty of people out there who Probably were super happy to be done with their families and have no support and no help because they wanted to prove that they could make it on their own.
1: Yeah. But for you,
0: like that sense of family and comfort and safety yes. is very important. Yeah. So, I think the problem, the challenge for me personally, came from the fact that I, I am emotionally more similar to you. Mm. I want the, like loving environment. I want the support. I want the caring. Right. That's what we're building in our company. Yes. Our company culture is very much focused on. Being almost like a family, a family of warriors, but still a family. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, because that's, that's important to me. It's important to me to know that like, hey, you're going through something painful, whether it's you lost your grandmother or you lost your dog. If it's painful to you, I want you to feel safe here in yeah. the family. And I, I feel like that's working. Our children are definitely accepting and adopting and engaging in that kind of atmosphere. And of course, that's an atmosphere your parents thrive in. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as my mom gets anywhere near us, I think she gets squeamish because she's like, "There's everybody loves each other and everybody's <laughs> nice to each other. And doesn't somebody have to do the chores around here?
1: <laughs> she has her own way of showing love.
0: She does. And she's, she shows fantastic love in that way that she yes, shows love. absolutely. But it is hard because you have to speak her language or else you don't feel loved.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I appreciate yeah. you taking the plunge with me, even though you knew you were taking on... <laughs>
0: Well, because I also get, I also get to talk about stuff like this because <laughs> we had a fantastic question come in from one of our one of our people one of our uh, subscribers that asked what news sources we trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no better way to start this conversation than to talk about how horrible your mother's choices are. In selecting sources of news.
1: I think I think your mom and my mom watch the same news, so I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> oh,
0: that's true. My mom I think
1: that <laughs> I think there's is... a difference.
0: I think the main difference is that your mom takes news from anywhere and thinks that it's news. <laughs> my mom literally only watches one channel <laughs> that is blasphemous and she believes in this news. So I do I think that you're right. I, they get ultimately. It comes from the same political slant. Yeah. Yeah, but yours, your mom, I swear, she sees it on Facebook. She thinks it's real.
1: So what's funny about her too is um, because they've been staying with us, she gets these uh, like newsy emails, but they're all the content is really snarky, and she'll read it to you, like listen to this, and it's all this really you know kind of funny snarky news content, and I'm like. Where did I'm like how do you like when did how did you even start receiving these emails? She's like I don't know. They just started coming in my inbox one day <laughs> and I was like okay. But I will say that because my parents are exposed to you so much, they are forced now because you challenge them all the time. They are forced now to diversify their news sources um and think a little bit more about, you know, what they are what they are repeating um you know, the information that they are getting. But um, I think, and that. then you and I, inter- funnily enough, like have different news sources as well. Um, you'll come up with stories that I haven't seen. And I'm like, well, where'd you, where'd you see that news story? And I'll have to go look it up. And then I have my, you know, I have my usual list. I'm a creature of habit. I have my, uh, my daily emails. So let's, let's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that. Tell, I think the whole world would love to know what is Jihee's creature of habit news list? Yeah, my you, you read the news first thing in the morning. Before yeah. you even kiss me good morning, you are reading the news. <laughs>
1: That's
2: because you sleep me, in.
0: It reminds me where I am in the world, in the pecking order of things. <laughs> I'm trying but, to but change that. <laughs> tell us what news sources get your attention before your husband?
1: <laughs> so, first thing in the morning, I get um, an email from AP News, and I read through that, and then I'll click in stories that I find are interesting. Um, and then I get an email from The Economist, I subscribe to The Economist, so I get that and um, you know, I read those highlights. And then usually I'll go back to, a little bit later in the day, I'll go back to the AP News website and explore a little bit more because their newsletter really is just highlights. Um, and mm-hmm. then I also get, uh, I get the New York Times, so uh, the, the first two come in the morning and then the New York Times comes in the evening. So sometimes I'll take a look you know, really quickly at the New York Times um, and then if I'm if I'm actually researching something, so that's like my daily intake of what are the top stories. But if I'm actually so let's researching stop something, up
0: there because that's that's yeah yeah your daily intake of stories is more news sources than the average person.
1: <laughs> well, I was just gonna say I, if I will expand my news sources to make sure I'm getting a more well balanced, you know. But AP News honestly is is fairly balanced, and that's why I go so to the Associated
0: first. Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gets your attention before anything else in yeah. the day. That's powerful. That's mm-hmm. I mean I can't think of I can literally hear people subscribing to Associated Press right now because you said that.
1: <laughs> it's great.
0: And then and then second to that was The Economist, is that correct?
1: Yeah. And uh, AP News is uh free but The Economist is a paid subscription. So I, I mean so I also, AP News is the place I to start. I also want
0: to highlight I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, I can tell how excited you are because you just keep talking. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the one that just rambles. But uh but the Many people don't realize this, but The Economist is actually a foreign news source. Mm-hmm. It's a UK-based news source. Yeah. So I love that your number one news source and your number two news sources are one domestic and one international. Mm-hmm. And Associated Press is is truly journalistic content yeah. more so than not because it comes from a large swath of journalists, both freelance and staff. Yes. Um, so it's really it really does have to go through that journalism uh, pressure test mm-hmm. for journalistic qualification before it gets pressed or put to press so that's really cool stuff and then your third was the New York Times
1: yeah I have um, an email I get their little email newsletter um, to New York Times and that's really just um, you know highlights as well and it's kind of a you know a different perspective but you have to recognize the slant so The Economist has Has its own bit of a slant. The New York Times has its own bit of a slant. Um, So as long as you recognize that, you know where they're coming from, and if you see something, you check it on, you know, another news site that maybe is a little bit more neutral, um, or get a different perspective. I think that's important there.
0: Right, right, right. So Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Those are your three sources. Mm -hmm. So my main sources are. You're right. They're totally different than yours. Yeah. Super cool. So my go-to is Reuters. I actually really Mm. like Reuters first. Yeah. And then after Reuters, I like the BBC, which is a uh-huh. foreign-based, right? It's out of yep. Britain. And then I actually really like Al Jazeera, which is also oh. foreign-based. Yeah. And it's out of, I believe it's Qatar. I think I think it's based in Qatar. I don't remember so, anymore. Yeah. So I have one domestic and two foreign news sources as my go-to, mm-hmm. and all three from different regions of the world. You have... Uh, essentially, you have a, a very centrist point of view with the AP, mm-hmm. but then you get slightly more and more left-leaning, still very fact-based and still very centrist. But the New York Times and, mm-hmm. the, and uh, the Economist are left-leaning for sure. The Economist is further yeah. left, I think, than The New York Times. But, uh, but the other thing I would say is that uh, periodically I'll also find myself looking at the Wall Street Journal. Um, oh, so, yes but it's not one of my go-to's. My go-to's really yeah. are like, and even to your point about slant, for anybody who's ever read Al Jazeera,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's, yeah. it's hard because depending on the topic, their slant can change mm-hmm. because they have a very, very heavy slant whenever they're reporting on Middle Eastern issues.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're relatively neutral when they're reporting on international issues, which can be pretty nice.
1: Yeah, I think they're um, so, definitely the way, great to use as one of your new sources for sure. I mean, you, I I really yeah. believe that you shouldn't have just one single news source that you go to.
0: Absolutely, you should not. But the but the other thing that's interesting is um all of the two of us, all six of the news sources that we just talked about are print based first. They are not mm. they are not video based. Oh so, yeah. Fox News is a vi- Fox News, uh, CNN, MSNBC. Here, these are news sources that are primarily video based, and neither of us are are talking about those as news sources that we go to at all
2: and those
0: two news i mean the two news sources cnn and and fox news those are your primary news sources in the united states
1: yeah i actually um i don't consider i don't consider those news sources i consider them news media i see news media as something different than a news source which is why i read my news and i don't watch it because when you watch a news channel they are supported by ratings, um, and so they're, they have to keep you engaged, which makes it more likely for them to um, you know, use headlines and rhetoric that is more inflammatory and more biased to keep you watching, yep. and so I don't, yep. I don't watch my news.
0: Mm-mm. No, I, I totally agree, but what does your mom and my mom do? Yeah. And watch themselves some news. I swear, my mom turns on the TV just to get pissed off. I swear. I, I'm pretty sure she's pissed at somebody most of the day. So then she turns on the news just to get pissed off at somebody different than the person that she's been pissed off at all day long. Uh,
1: yeah, my yeah. mom and has it on in her the background. Current husband yeah.
0: just a, her current husband just cheers her on. Like, <laughs> That's right. Get pissed, Patty. Get pissed. I can't believe that either. Oh my gosh. Oh, and yeah. then they that's that they, is my mom's and they open a box of wine <laughs> and they they light up the world.
1: Yeah. I mean that's yeah, and that's what those, you know, that's what the the news media is for, right? To get people, you know, engaged in their homes and engaged with the channel so they'll keep watching. Yeah. Emotional, just like you were Emotional. saying. It goes all the yeah. way
0: back to what you were saying earlier about the current administration in Israel. Yes. Emotional based decisions, emotional based reactions. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is exactly what Hamas is hoping for because that's what's going to get them. Yeah. That's what's going to get them more, more headline time, more news coverage time, more international support. I mean, think about it. It's unheard of. There are at uh, at uh, in Salt Lake City during the Sundance Film Festival. Mm-hmm. There were Americans supporting Hamas. Mm -hmm. Like, it's incredible. That would have been unheard of six months ago. And now you actually have people at a major festival in the United States, in a conservative part of the United States, actively supporting a group that sits on the U.S. list of terrorist groups.
1: And you know what I haven't heard? I mean, maybe it's out there, but I haven't heard people talking about I haven't heard a lot of discussion on what what are Hamas's goals. What was Hamas's aim the day that they attacked Israel, right? What mm-hmm. were they trying to do? They weren't just trying to kidnap people and kill and kill Israeli citizens. There was a much larger goal, and I haven't heard a lot of conversation about what was their goal and are mm-hmm. they reaching it. I mean, it I seems don't think anybody
0: wants to admit it. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to admit it. But my love, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for making time. I know your parents are still staying with you. Go give them hugs and kisses for me. Do I not won't. give them ice cream. <laughs> I won't. Don't feed the animals at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I have been really feeling this trip. I've been feeling how far away I've been from you guys for the last three weeks. And we mm-hmm. still have two weeks left. But yeah. every day gets me closer to home. We're excited to have you home. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. Uh, if you, if there was anything you liked, anything you disliked, anything you agreed with or anything you disagreed with, we want to hear your comments. Go ahead and drop it in the comment box below. Leave us a review. If you're listening to us on, on Spotify, if you're listening to us on Apple, or if you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform, give us a review. Let us know your thoughts. If you're watching us on YouTube, drop us a comment. Share us with a friend. Hit that subscribe button. We love having these conversations. We love sharing them with you. We love watching what is happening in our world because even when things are dark, you know that there is light out there. And what we're always trying to do is help people find their way through the darkness because that's what CIA gave us, the tools to find our way through the darkness, whether that darkness was happening in the world around us or whether that darkness was happening in our own souls and our own thoughts. And we're happy to share that with you. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your support. Comments, subscribe button, share us with a friend, leave us a comment, give us a rating, and we will see you next time. It's a fresh